Okay, let me thank every one of you, especially Godwin, Shelu, and all who have found time to be here. Just like uh, Maxwell was trying to introduce, this is the very first meeting for this uh, Synergy Forum. Thank you, Akovi, as well. Uh, it's interesting if you had followed what he discussed for us to know that uh, sometimes beginnings like this, uh, we may probably not be able to catch precisely what ultimately the whole thing is all about. Uh, but first of all, I'm sure you have the little flyer that really introduced the issue of the synergy, which has to do with uh, things, maybe two things working together produce results that on individual level you cannot be able to produce. So it's like two persons coming together or putting two machines together and then you get maximum result. Amen. Um, the best concept uh, or example that I want to use for the word synergy is in Acts chapter 13. And then we look at verse 1. Acts 13 and we look at verse 1. I'm trying to see the best example that we can use for synergy in terms of how it worked. And here the Bible says now, Acts 13 verse 1, now there were in the church that was in was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manon, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrite and Saul. So you see, if you read this passage down, you find out it's a place for diverse culture. Is that okay? Diverse culture, diverse ethnic tongues, you know, all came together. All were functioning together. And again, we'll find that here, the pastors, were, I mean, the, the prophets were there, the apostles were there. They all came together. You see, so it was a kind of a model church of what a church should be. Uh, diversity of gifts and operations of the spirit. And then they all functioning together for a specific goal and purpose. And basically for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And we'll find that it was in this platform that the grace in the life of Paul was properly uh, exemplify our brought to light and then they were commissioned to go upon uh, Barnabas. The release came from a corporate body. It was not just an individual running his own show. And sometimes we find that it's not as if it's a difficult thing for us to run, but where we receive grace from a corporate body is not as compared as to when you as an individual just begin to run. Amen? Now it's very important we understand this that there must come to a level in your life that certain body, which has to do with the body of Christ, in your locality, in your region, we have some specific presbyterial work upon your life and ministry that gives you momentum to move forward beyond the level that you are supposed to be. Are you understand what I'm talking about? So this is exactly what happened, and this is precisely what synergy is all about. It was a corporate body that have to release Apostle Paul to go into the ministry that God has called him into. By implication, it's not necessarily an individual identifying your giftings, but the entire body recognizing. And because they could lay hands on you, it's like they, they, they certify you, it's like they confirm you, it's like they approved you. And the scripture says, whatever you bind on earth is bind in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth is losing heaven. Meaning, if the church approves a thing, heaven recognizes that. 
Did you get the principle? And that's exactly what I'm saying. So when Paul was released by the entire body, it's like heaven was doing what? Releasing him. And that means also that heaven backs him because it was heaven that's releasing him into the ministry. Because the church stands to represent God's voice upon the face of the earth. Are we all together? Amen. So this is precisely what synergy is all about. People coming together and working corporately to be able to achieve maximum result for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, like we said in the flyer, we're talking about the city church as our main uh, issue or subject for this season that we want to be looking into. So I want us to turn very quickly to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And then... Uh, I'm going to start reading from verse number 10, and I'm jump some verses. I'm going to verse 16, then I'm going to go to verse 20, and then I'll explain something there. Okay. Revelation chapter number 1, verse 10. The Bible says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and had behind me as of a trumpet. Now, I want you to know that because it's very important. It means John was facing a particular direction. And the voice came from behind him. Is that okay? Because it's very important you note this so that we can be able to pick it out as we are progressing. But the voice that he had was behind him. Meaning he was facing a particular direction. We may probably find that out later, but let's just make a progress. Now verse 11 says, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it into the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Theatra, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Did you get that? Okay. Go to verse 16. Verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was the sun, was as the sun shineth in his strength. Hallelujah. Verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou saw it in the right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which thou saw it, are the seven churches. It simply have to be explained. Is that okay? Now, I want you to know. Now, if you go to other translation, let me read it from the Living Bible. It said, this is the meaning of the seven stars you saw in my right hand. And the seven candlesticks. The seven stars are the leaders of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks are the churches themselves. I want you to understand that. So the book of Revelation, the content of the book of Revelation was an address 
specifically to the leaders of seven churches in a region. Do you understand this now? Good. That means God deals with regions in relation to the people in that region. Meaning, if God intends to reveal his mind to a group of people in a particular region, he picks on the pastors in that region to give them the mind that he has for that region so that the pastors will be able to disseminate what God has to the region. Do you follow what I'm talking about here? It means that God wants to invade, for instance, Nigeria. As Africa, let's put it that way. Let's say Nigeria. And let's bring it down to a lower level. Maybe Delta State. And then we'll break it down again to maybe worry as a place. He has to visit the leaders of these local assemblies. He wasn't writing to one church. He was writing to all churches that was existing in that region. Did you get the point now? I want you to know this because it's very, very crucial to me. If we must follow and to understand what we're about to do, as far as the issue of Synergy Forum is concerned, a lot may not be able to see yet what we're entering into. Now, that tells you what happened in Act 13. God's voice was there because somebody in the midst of the people spoke and somebody was confirmed. Now, God is addressing the people and is addressing the churches put together. One message to all the churches put together and is asking John to send this word to those various leaders. The implication, if a leader is not in tune with what God is speaking to the churches, he would definitely lead his people outside of what God is saying at that moment, at that season. Does that make sense? Meaning, if one among these seven leaders will not receive the message from John, that particular church, could be in Theoric, I mean Theotera, could be in Laodicea, that particular church will definitely be excluded from the mind of God for that season for the Asian nation. Now, this is very implicative. When I use the word implicative, meaning pastors need to recognize that the people they are pastoring, they are not their own people. They are God's people. And that God has a word for his people per time and per season. Do you follow what I'm talking about? It's very crucial. Okay. So, the stars are the leaders or messengers or pastors of the city churches in Asia. So, first of all, you say the concept of the city church. It's, it's writing to the church by writing to the seven churches that was in that region. Does that make sense? That gives you what a city church is. Now, he wasn't writing to Adam Christian, Adam Christian Assembly in one place and then face-to-face um, -face international community in another place. No. The whole of the altera, there probably could have been various local assemblies, as the case may be. But all of them put together to him is one church. Did you get that? Then he's writing to Ephesus. It doesn't matter who was in Ephesus. It doesn't matter how many local cell assembly that were in Ephesus. To him, there is one church in where? In Ephesus. 
So I want you to see how God looks at the church. I want you to see how he defines what his church is. Because that's why he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not do what? Shall not prevail. So the church is not just KDC. Is that okay? The church is more than KDC in the sense that KDC is only part of the church in worry local government or worry vicinity or debtor state as the case may be. Am I making sense to you? Let me give you a typical example. There, is, there was one church in the wilderness. How many of you agree with me? But there were 12 tribes that makes up that church. Did you see what I mean there? Fine. That is a simple definition of God's church. There are no two churches. There is one church, one body, one baptism. Is that okay? But this one body is made up of many what? Members. So your various local assembly makes up what the church is supposed to be. So therefore, God will not address the local assembly. He address the church that is in that area. The problem that is supposed to be existing in your locality is not a problem that affects an individual church. It's a problem that affects all the churches. So if God is addressing the church in that locality, he deals with a problem in that locality as a corporate body. Does that make sense? So we all being together here is one church. That's the fourth definition. So if God is speaking to us just like he spoke to the churches in Theatra, in Laodicea, in Philadelphia, and whatever the case may be, it is because he sees all the local assembly put together as what? One church. Am I communicating? This is very crucial. All right. So let's move on. So like I said, the book of Revelation was addressed to the pastors of these churches in this region to expose to them the problem the father had with them in relation to their work and walk with him. In other words, one of the things that God intended to do when he was speaking to the seven churches was to address them and identify to them, each of them, the peculiar problem they were carrying. So you see, when we come, maybe in the times of prayer or communion or questioning, we should be able to find out, God should be able to let us know, sometimes some of us need to even pray before we come, to find out what is the major peculiar problem that the church in this locality is having. Did you get that? Because the problem with the Laodicean church was not a problem with the Philadelphia church. Does that make sense? Okay. The problem in Theatre Church was not a problem in Ephesus Church. These were various localities, but they were in one region. So that's the point. So in our region here, the question is what is the major problem that is like militating against the advancement of the kingdom and then against the mind and the will of God for his people. Something is militating against the advancement of God's mind for his people. So what should that be? This is a forum to identify such issues and then we take them up in prayer collectively and then individually. And then when you go back home again into your own local assembly, you should be able to have a rethink as to what the situation is, what should be done to overcome such a problem. Because whether you believe it or not, there could be a peculiar problem that is happening to all local assemblies within this region. Hallelujah. Are you there? Okay. Now, the city church, therefore, should be a platform that helps to identify the shortcomings of the church and how to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord as it relates to the city where the church is what? Existing in. This is very crucial. It's not enough to worship. It's not enough to serve. If God have not spoken to those various churches, they think they were doing the right thing. They think they were working on. They think they had a relationship with him. But even in the midst of all that they were doing, here comes the Lord rebuking them for what they were doing. 
But again, it's a good thing to understand that he who God's love, he does what? He rebuke. Right? So, if we're walking and we can't find a rebuke from anybody, from the Lord, we may think we are right in our own eyes. But this is a forum that can assist as we begin to make progress, identify some of those issues so that they can properly be addressed. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay. Now, very crucial, like we were reading, we talking about the seven golden candlesticks, and then we talked about seven stars. I've just simply identified the stars now, which is simply identified there. The stars are the seven churches. Is that okay? Now, that tells you as an individual, a local assembly individual, from the contents of what we're reading, as far as God is concerned, you are a star. But I want you to note where this star is. The star is not just floating up in the sky. The star was in the hand of someone. Did you follow what I'm talking about? So, the first place that you as a pastor is supposed to find yourself in doing ministry is in the hands of God. And not just in his hand, in his right hand. Why the right hand? That's the place of power. What that simply means is God intends to execute his powers through you and I as local pastors. Hallelujah. He wants to advance, he wants to execute, he wants to propagate everything he has in his mind through you and I as a pastors. So we must be in his right hand. Praise the Lord. Are we still together? Okay, let's look at the issue of the candlesticks for a while. Let's still touch a little bit on, on the stars, which is also very important. But let's look at the candlesticks. Now, let's quickly go to Hebrews chapter 9. Then we'll look at the candlesticks, and then you understand what I'm saying there. Hebrews chapter 9. The Bible says, I'm reading verse 2 down to number 4. For there was this tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlesticks and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant of a laid round about with gold, wherein was golden pot that had manna and Aaron's straw that bought it and the tables of the covenant. Now, our concern in relation to the seven churches is verse 2. Now, get the picture right. Now, somebody's going to help me because we are all pastors here now. Remember, he was speaking. I mean, it's like he was standing and watching. And then he had a voice behind him. Is that okay? All right. Now, let me just simply explain this. The tabernacle has only two major compartments that were covered. That you know. Is that okay? The altar court was not covered. So... Let's assume outside there is the outer court. The hall here is the holy place. And then from here up is the holy of holies. Now God doesn't take record. Read your Bible. Revelation is there. He doesn't take record of the outer court. His life is manifested on the holy and most holy place. Are you following what I'm saying here? So when he said, now even look at it, he said, Verse 2, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick. He didn't mention the outer court. 
So the holy place becomes a first tabernacle. Did you get that? Then the sanctuary, I mean the most holy place, becomes the second tabernacle. But now the candlestick is found where? In the first tabernacle. Are you there? Now that tells you where the church is. The church is found at this moment within the first tabernacle. The address of Jesus was a church that was within the first tabernacle. Meaning the church have not moved into the most holy place yet. I'm, not, I'm talking about as of when he spoke. Is that okay? Are we together? Okay. Now, I'm still going to explain why he refers to the church as the candlesticks. Okay. The role the candlestick was supposed to play. Okay, so here we're saying, what were the seven candlesticks meant for in the tabernacle? You know, it's as the, the, the holy place that you have the message seat. Is that okay? And I've always tried to explain to you, the message seat is like this. This is like the ark, and the top of it are where the two cherubim. Is that okay? So in between the two cherubim is what you have as the shadow of the Almighty. Then on top of this place where the two cherubims were resting on is what we call the mercy seat. So if you need to really reach God to receive petition, to find grace to help in times of need, you must go out of the outer court to where? The holy place. I mean the outer court, the first tabernacle, which is the holy place, to the most holy place. Because you don't find the mercy seat in the holy place. You find the message in where? In the most holy place. I mean, God is placing a demand on us that if we really want to touch him, we have to move beyond. Now, that tells you where perhaps John was standing. So where was John standing in this instance? John was standing right where those candles were supposed to be. And that the voice was speaking from the most holy place. Now, John was facing, let me explain a little bit. Let me just go a little bit. I'll explain that. Now, watch this. Verse number one. I mean, when I say, what was, I mean, I'm trying to say, what was the seven candlestick meant for in the tabernacle? One, the golden candlesticks of seven branches were unto the south. So, if John was standing this way, because this is the way it's supposed to be. The tabernacle was built in such a way that the eastern gate, nobody passes through that. It was meant for God. Is that okay? So there, if the eastern gate was God's gate, and the candlesticks were to the south, that means they were to the right-hand side of the, of the, of the fourth course of, of John. Am I making sense? John was looking straight to the, to the east. And one of the reasons, that, now let me give you a simple illustration about this so that you can understand what I'm saying. The Jewish people, when they bury their people, they bury the people with their head to the west. Because they understand it is at the resurrection, you face God who comes from the east. Are you there with me? Good. So now, therefore, and that is part of the reason why 
I think our brethren, without understanding now, the Muslim community also pray facing the East. Because the understanding is God comes from the East. And that's why there was all the, the sun worship. Because the sun rises from the East and sets in the West. And you can see Jesus, you need the same illustration in Matthew 24. And the sun rises from the East and sets in the West. So, when they bury their people, they put their head to the West so that when God is, when they are rising, they face their God. They together. Therefore, if you're standing as John was standing, John was standing looking at the East. So, where would the candlestick be? To the right hand side. And that becomes the South. Did you get that? Okay. So, in the tabernacle, if this were supposed to be the tabernacle, the candlestick was supposed to be to the South. And... Um, to the north, you have the golden altar of incense. It was to the north. Okay? All right. Then, right between here and the most holy place, you have the showbread, the table of showbread. Now, the table of showbread represents the household of Israel. Six on one side, six on one side. Which will become the loaf. And that is part of the scripture that says we are one bread. Is that okay? Okay, now so, when the high priest ministers and the smoke is going up, it's like he's presenting these loaves before God. The smoke passes in, down, down to the most holy place. And I'm going to show you something very significant as we move on in relation to the function of the, of the, the candlesticks. The altar of incense was like a prayer being offered. And the smoke was radiating within the temple. God was smelling a sweet savour. Is that okay? So that he can receive the loaves as it's presented to him, as the case may be. And this loaf has to be there for six, uh, six days. On the seventh day, they have to be changed. Every six days, they change them. That is the, the way it was, was supposed to be. Okay? All right, let me move on very quickly because of time. Let's go strictly now to the candlestick. You understood now where he was. So to me, John was standing and looking at the east. And then the Lord spoke from behind. And he was speaking from the throne. Which is the most holy place. Because he spoke behind him. Are we communicating? Alright. Praise the Lord. Okay now. Now you know said. In each branch of the candlestick was a lamp. Uh, so unfortunately I didn't have the pictures here. These were lighting every evening and extinguished every morning. That's every evening they put on lights on those uh, candlesticks, which are supposed to be seven to the right hand side. Okay? One major one, one shaft, but three branches with one on the top, making it seven. And they do always put light on them every evening and in the morning they put them out. Okay. All right. They were intended to give light by night. That's the main thing. All right. Then the altar of incense was of gold and of priests chosen by lords offered incense every morning and evening in a gold incense which probably left on the altar after the completion of the offering. And that is uh, similar to what you find the, the Catholic do. You know, that, that thing they do. You know, that is just what it is. Okay. Now, number three. The table of the showbread was covered with plates of gold on this. And every Sabbath, they placed 12 loaves in two pies, six on each, which con continued there all the week till the next Sabbath until they were removed. Okay. All right. Um, we want to deal very specifically now with the, with the candlesticks, which has to do with the church. Amen. Now, the candlesticks were richly made of pure gold. 
not hollowed, solid gold. In other words, it's not just an ordinary pipe as such. It was a solid gold that the candlesticks. Is that okay? But made of solid gold. Now, what does that mean to us? You can just write down the book of Second Peter 1, verse number 4. Because if the candlestick is the church, the stars of the candlesticks are the pastors, and the candlesticks were made of pure gold, then God is speaking to us of his divine nature that we must put on as a church. So first Peter, I mean second Peter 1 4 say, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that this ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through laws. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So that's the first thing we need to be thinking about. In other words, there should be no void within us, there should be no emptiness within us. We should be filled as a church. With the nature of God. Very important you understand that. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's not just a solid mass as the case may be. It has many branches. Drawn from the shaft. You know the girl, the candlestick have branches this way, branches this way. Three here, three here, one at the top, making it seven. Hmm? Now at the top you have the bowl where you pour in your olive oil or whatever. And then the knobs there, which produces light, as the case may be. So why is it having many branches from the main shaft? To me, the fact that it has many branches from the main shaft shows that it's another way of saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Amen? Meaning, we are supposed to not only identify with the one we are connected to, we also draw life from the one we are connected to. Amen? Did you get that? It has many branches for the main shaft indicating your fruitfulness for being in the hands of the Lord. You are meant to spread and to prosper. God intended as his church prospers and no gate of hell will prevail against it. But that is as you are connected to the main shaft. Hallelujah. Note it very well. It is one shaft but many branches. One body, many local streams of assemblies. But all with the same nature, pure gold. So, whether yours is God in heaven right here on earth now, International Assembly, Jesus is soon coming, International Assembly, whatever assembly that's supposed to be, there is one nature that's supposed to be in that assembly, the nature of Christ, pure gold. Is that okay? And... The star of that church must see to it that is completely not only just connected, but it should be in the hand of the one that he represents. Because the stars were supposed to be where? In his right hand. Hallelujah. Okay. One of the reasons that he has to spread this way is to enable light to spread within the tabernacle. And I'm going to give you the reason why. Let me just say this. 
The tabernacle he built in such a way that there was no windows. Because no natural light was allowed to come in. And I'm going to show you the mystery of that in the book of Revelation also progressing. So that candlestick was meant to disperse the light within this dark wall that it represents. Meaning, the influence of the city church is to spread the light of God. Hallelujah. The influence of the city church, the power of the city church, is not just what you do, but to spread the light. There's a difference between power show and spreading the light within a city. Is that okay? I was listening to somebody recently. He came to minister from outside of this country. And he said, I've never seen a community that has as many churches as Nigeria. That on Sunday to me, when I begin to look at them, they were like bees when they are going to church. He said, but the highest level of this attendance in church equals the highest amount of corruption in Nigeria. That Nigeria is ranked the second world most corrupt country. Yet, it has the largest population of churches and churchgoers. And it ought not to be so. And that is the truth. The guy was invited to come minister here from outside of this country. The church is meant to spread. There was a question he asked. How could you have so much population of people going to church and yet have the highest level of corruption? That it simply means these guys are not really doing what they are supposed to do. And I think and I can agree with him. Now, you see what we read in Peter. He said, because we put on the divine nature, we have escaped the corruption that is the world true Lord. That is Adamic life. But corruption both naturally and physically. I mean spiritually and physically. So we cannot claim to be a church in the city and there is so much pollution still going on in the city and we still think we are doing church. No. The candlestick was meant to spread the light in the midst of darkness. Can I hear any man to that? Let's move on just a little bit. So like I said, number three, the, the candlestick was very significant because the tabernacle had two win no windows by which to let in the light of the day. All this light was candlelight. Very significant. No windows. So automatically the whole place was supposed to be darkness. But I will make you see why God had to do it that way. But just like I said, the candlestick was meant to produce a light. And no natural light was allowed to come in. Meaning natural wisdom was not supposed to rule the city where the church is existing in. Meaning the church was supposed to influence. How many of you understand the Bible says we are the salt of the earth? We are supposed to seize in the environment. Let's even look at our churches and find our members doing business. How clean are their businesses? How connected? What kind of nature is in the business of our members? But the church was supposed to be a light in the midst of darkness. Meaning we can do genuine business. 
We can do all things clean. Because we have the very nature of Christ. Meaning we don't need natural wisdom to succeed in life. And also that means also you as a minister of God who is supposed to be in the right hand of Christ, you don't need natural manipulation to make your church either grow or make money. Because that itself is a natural light. Light is a symbol of wisdom. Darkness is ignorance. So if your, if, your, if your process, if your method of making things work is natural, it simply means you are not yet even a candle in the, in the tabernacle of God. Am I making sense to you? Because within the tabernacle, there was no single window. Only the candlestick was revealing light. The light in everywhere. To assist even the priest in doing whatever thing he was supposed to be uh, to be doing. That when you move from the tabernacle to the most holy place, no artificial light. The glory of the Lord lightens that area. Did you get the difference there? On the outside is natural light. On the inside is the golden candlesticks. On the most holy place is the glory of the Lord. These are the three lights. Now you can understand. Thank you, Lord. You can understand what the Bible says. The sun shall not smite thee by day, neither the moon by night. Where can the sun smite thee? Only when you are in the outer court. Because the sun does not have access to the holy place. It is all covered. The moon does not have access to the holy place. It is all covered. So if you move to the most holy place, in fact, you are gone beyond where the sun or the moon can strike you. Meaning, even if somebody invoke your name through the sun, it's not supposed to affect you because you are not on the outer court. Hallelujah. So I said it shows the comparative darkness also of the dispensation of the old covenant. One of the reasons God did not allow light to come in there, the whole place was complete darkness, was to show the dark state of the Old Testament as compared to the new. Amen. Many at that season, that dispensation was a season of ignorance, season of darkness, season of old order that was fading away in the light of the face of Jesus Christ as you move into the most holy place. So, there's a dispensation of darkness that God allows before the coming of the Lord, which has to do with the Son of Righteousness. How I many of you can remember that? We'll talk about Malachi 4. So, to them of who, you know, say came, shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wing. Now, the son of them have not arisen as at that time. So, God did not allow any light to come in there. It has to be darkness to represent the age that the Old Testament was speaking about. Hallelujah. Okay, and then if you move on your Bible, you're going to read the Bible says, the word of God, which is a commandment of God, was a lamp. Did you not say so? That commandment is a lamp unto my feet. Huh? Okay. So the commandment and the law were supposed to be light. Now, if the commandments and the law were supposed to be a light, like um, David was speaking now in the book of Psalm. Is that okay? Right. We are already told here that, thank you, Father. We are already told here that the candlesticks help to disperse the light. Is that okay? In the holy place. Okay. So now, if the law and the commandment 
were a light or a lamp, who were those to dispense that light in the Old Testament? It also were the prophets. And so the, the Bible talks about a prophet who spoke in time past in diverse manners. What were they doing? They were releasing the light. Which was a lamp. Are you getting the picture now? Fine. The Old Testament prophet were like the ministers of today in relation to the candlesticks. So while the candlesticks were supposed to be the light within the uh, sphere, even so the law was a lamp, and the Lord had been a lamp, it took the prophet to dispatch that light into the world of that day. Does it make sense to you? So the prophet were like the stars in the hands of Jesus now. They got the message, they gave it to the church, the church to be able to move that. That will also make you see this. Yes, I believe in evangelism, but understand something. Evangelism must go beyond just talking. We must come to the place where you become the light wherever you find yourself. Amen? Meaning, you send your members as light into the world. By the training you give to them. I've always emphasized in my local assembly, don't come tell me how powerful you are in the church. Tell me how powerful you are in your marketplace. Hallelujah. Okay. So I want you to get that. The Bible talks about the prophet of old. In the Old Testament church, they were the people that was carrying light or dispatching the light. So you find that the church is still in dark as the tabernacle was in comparison with what it was today or what it is today. If you watch therefore, as at when Jesus spoke in Revelation, the candlestick was within the dark region. Is that okay? Meaning, though it's a light, it's still within a dark confine. There is still darkness upon the church, as the case may be. Basically, as at when the Lord spoke. But let's look at something in the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Revelation 20, 21, rather, first, verse 22 and 23. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 22, 23, the Bible says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty, and the Lamb are the temples of it. And I'm going to say something on this, and it's very important. And the city. Now, watch this. He said, you are the city set on a hill. He was speaking to the church. Is that okay? And the city has no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine it. For what? The glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is a light thereof. Hallelujah. But let's begin from verse 22. When he, now remember, he's describing the city. He said, in this city, there's no temple. What does that mean? No individualistic mentality. It's one city. What he's saying is, you come to a place where your I, I, which is the ego in you, disappears. Because the only life that you manifest is the Lord. 
Did you get this? You know, when you speak, what do you, what do you often say? I, my church, I, my church. These are basically the languages that come from people's mouths. But in the city which God is building, which is set on a hill, the Mount Zion, there is no temple there. And don't forget First Corinthians say, you are the temple of the Lord. Did he say so? So basically, you are supposed to be a temple, you are a temple, you are a temple. All of us are supposed to be temples. But in the fullness of time, as what God is looking at, man, there is no individuality. It's one body, one spirit, one church, one Lord, one God, one baptism. I saw no temple in the city. And this city have no need of the sun or the moon. What that means is the church of God does not have need of natural wisdom or philosophy to operate. I think it was Maxwell speaking to me a few times ago. Even, even one was coming from Lagos when we went to pick money and, and uh, we're discussing these things and we find that we have more of motivational speakers in the church as compared to ministers of God. And most motivational speakers, they just bring in the methodologies, the philosophies of men and put scriptures on them and call it a message. I have read where, thank you, Father, People now hire managers to manage church in the U.S. for growth. Church growth managers. They are not believers. They are employed to bring in methods to cause the church to grow. But in the book of Acts, the Bible tells us God added to the church so that you be saved. 500, 300,000, 500,000 were added in one day. There was no growth manager. This is the city that's needing the sun and the moon to shine in it. You see, you go back and read all the seven churches and see the rebuke. So that we too can come to a place and see where are we really missing this thing. Hallelujah. So we have church group managers, we have those who manage your finances and all of that. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, the Bible tells me that those that we asked to build a temple that they took no record. Second Chronicles, you will see there. They took no record from them because they condemned to be what? Faithful. A situation where today the unbelievers come to audit a church account because they find that either the pastor or somebody is not faithful. What kind of church is that? You bring in the unbelievers and the church paid money for the auditor to come into audit. Because somebody is not faithful with money. And yet you expect that church to be the light of the church that God is planting? I doubt. Unfaithfulness. Financial unfaithfulness. So now they're bringing auditors who are not believers to audit God's children. So who is the light? <laughs> the auditor has become light because he reveals the things that are hidden in secret. Because light will reveal the things that are hidden in the darkness. So when an auditor comes from us to audit your account and find you wanting, he becomes a light. Then you are in darkness. 
So, but this city have no need of the light. But the emphasis, how many of you have read when Paul was speaking? It's no longer I that live it. The Christ that living in me. If you look at the eyes, a capital letter. My real ego is dead. My life now is based on the leading of Christ. That's what the Bible says. In this city, the lamb is the light thereof. Any minister that is still walking in pride and the spirit of I, the big I, that must bend, has the issue to resolve. Hallelujah. The city that God is building have no need of the light. Hallelujah. So again we find that the word of God which is Christ himself, the church, is the candlelight that's shining in a dark place. In other words, we ought to be shining in this world. Hallelujah. We ought to be manifesting God's life, God's love in this world. Very important. We understand it. Okay, let me just read on just a little bit. Let's understand. Can we look at Revelation 4 verse 5? Revelation 4 verse number 5. The Bible tells me here, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. If you compare this, it's simply still talking about the seven churches. Sometimes you can talk about the seven spirits which manifested to Christ in the book of Isaiah. Spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding. These are the seven spirit of God. And if you look at that, you find that there is something very specific that was mentioned. So the spirit were functioning in his life that he may not judge by what he sees or by what he hears. Are you getting that? So the mature church can no longer function on the basis of what he used to know. But as it relates to the one that is holding in his hand the proceeding word of the Lord. Amen? Let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say. If you look at the book of Numbers, time will not permit us to read it, but you go to read the book of Numbers chapter 9. There was an instance where they were supposed to have the Passover. The feast of Passover. And then it came to a point where some of the brethren were not there when the feast took place. So they came to Moses. But we also need to have the feast of Passover. But they were not there. But the law says, if you touch a dead body, if you were not there, whatever the case may be, you should be excluded. But they came to Moses. So we also desire to have the feast of Passover. We were not there when it took place. Moses said, okay, you hold on. Let me go to the Lord and find out what do we say about your case. And the Bible said, Moses went to the Lord and the Lord said, let them have it in the second month. That is what is called the proceeding word. The Lord have already stated you, if you miss it, you miss it. As it, the case may be. Okay, I'll give you another instance. Read your Bible closely. There was another man that went to cut firewood on the Sabbath day and he was caught and brought to Moses. Have you read that in your Bible? Okay. 
And then Moses said, okay, you keep him there. Let me go to the Lord and find out what he will have me do. And by the time he went, the Lord told him what to do. The proceeding word. There is a place for the written word. There is a place for what you know yesterday. But there is a place where when you begin to function with the seven spirits of God, you walk relying on the proceeding word, which is a word for the season and for the day. In that instance, now you're not walking in righteousness. After all, think about it. Was it not Moses who wrote the law? And put it down and say anybody that is caught doing something on the Sabbath day, the person should be killed. Why did he have to go to God again? That is number one, an apostolic mentality. The apostles and the prophets, and I'm, I'm not talking about those who see vision. The apostles and the prophets who know the mystery and the mind of God are people who have to hear from God to do whatever thing they are supposed to do. That's why he's telling us here, the Bible says, and of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings or whatever. And there were seven lamps of the funny bunny before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Hallelujah. Are we following this? It's very important. And I also believe that this is one of the reasons that when they brought the woman that was caught in adultery to Jesus, he will have nothing to say until he hears from God what God has to say. Because you see, as it was with Moses, so it is with Christ. Some of us need to understand. I have already said it before. If Moses had not died, Jesus wouldn't have died. Because Moses said, God shall raise up a prophet like unto me. So he typified what Jesus will pass through. And because he saw so much of God's glory, there was no way for him to die. God had to kill him by himself and bury him by himself. Just to fulfill the scripture. Because if that is not done, Jesus will die. And so there's a pattern in which he operated. As an apostolic spirit. Of the new order and of the old order. So find Moses who wrote the law. Stay asking God what to do. This is Jesus. Who is supposed to be the omniscient God as the case may be. Still trying to find out what God will say or do. Because the Bible says, I do nothing except what? What I see the Father do. This is the light coming from the throne. To the candlestick. The season that we are, it's not a question of I, it's not a question of my church. It's a question of what is God doing. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. Okay, let me read this final scripture and then I can go. Exodus 25 verse 37. Exodus 25 verse 37. If you look at that scripture, the Bible says, I'm just going to speak what it, what it says there. Many stars where they went to light the lamp and to put it out. Which simply means to me the opening of the scriptures and the closing of the scriptures, if you will. It means we can either open the scriptures or close the scriptures. You see, the candlesticks, the lamps, it was ministers that was operating them. They could put in the, the oil, the light comes up. Is that okay? Remember in the days of Eli, the light was going out. He was a minister, but the light was going out. So you can be a minister and you cause the light of the lamp to be going out within your church. 
Is that you're going to kindle the light or you let the light go? Hallelujah. Amen. So, I want you to understand this at this season that we are. That the seven churches which has to do with a type of, I mean, the candlestick, the seven churches in a very defined location have individual problems, but God sees all of those churches put together as one church. And then the ministers of these seven churches were stars in the hands of God. Hallelujah. And the seven churches, the Bible tells us that the candlestick, which is supposed to be in the most holy place, I mean the holy place, which gives light to the realms of darkness, meaning the church, we in our vicinity are meant to give light to our environment. And I said, at the fullness of time as we progress in God, moving from the natural to the spiritual dimension of the fullness of God's glory, there is no individualism. There's a place for oneness. Corporate body, which speaks of one church, irrespective of the name you bear. Because the word that is coming to you should be the word that is coming to everyone. If God is happy with the church in the environment, he's happy with everybody. If God is angry with the church in the environment, he's angry with everybody. And so the letter is to so the church in Theatre, the church in Philippi, the church in Smyrna, the church in this. It's one church of various local assemblies of whom sells. Just like you find in the Old Testament. One church in the wilderness, but 12 tribes. Praise the Lord. I would like to stop here today.